Welcome to Nothing Confidential, the podcast. I'm Kristen Henke, your hostess with the mostest, guide from the side, and mistress of ceremonies. As a somatic sex coach, I believe that pleasure, connection, and authentic expression are a function of safety. My desire for this platform is to normalize topics that have been thought of as unsafe or shameful. Conversations around sex, money, trauma, spirituality, loss, these are the conversations that shape us. When we approach these exchanges with curiosity, compassion, nuance, and a dollop of humor, we create room for people to feel seen and heard in both their unique and collective experiences. In other words, this is a soft place to have hard conversations. I'm so honored to have you here. Shall we commence? everyone. I can't believe it's already been a month. Checking in. How is the experiment going? I would love to hear. I would love to receive a DM from you if you listen to the show, if you tuned into the beautiful two-part conversation that I released at the end of last month titled Dearly Departed. Would love to hear your takeaways, reflections, if it moved you. This next conversation that I'm about to share with you comes with a trigger warning. This conversation is all around miscarriage and loss and heartbreak. I've titled it one and four because that is a statistic that is still true. One in four women will experience a miscarriage in their lifetime. And even though we know that fact. We've seen it before. We've seen posts about it on miscarriage awareness month and day. We have women in our lives who have lost babies at different times and experienced staggering grief. And yet this is a conversation that is still really closeted. This is something that is not openly talked about. It's something that still feels really uncomfortable and unsafe And yet it is so, so incredibly common. And so I reached out to three women who I'm really close to for the first part of this conversation and asked them to join me in a roundtable format to just share their experiences and to share their hearts. And they were courageous and gracious enough to say yes. And I am so deeply grateful to Liza and to Leslie and to Erica for being willing to normalize a really hard conversation and for sharing the differences and the commonalities in each of your experiences and for making it okay to voice these things out loud. And so while this conversation may seem you know, it might seem like a bummer, but I feel like it's really, really important. And podcasts are not only here to entertain. Like I believe that my show, at least, I have a heart to create change and to shift paradigms and to change the way we show up for and with each other. And that's what was behind my decision to 
feature this topic. I hope that you will keep an open mind and an open heart. And I hope that what you hear will create a just a sense of belonging inside of you. If you have experienced a miscarriage yourself, I hope that you will feel seen and heard and validated in the experiences of these women. And if you have not, I hope that you will feel equipped to offer support and compassion and love to someone in your life who may be going through something really hard. And one last disclaimer note, (laughs) these are the personal experiences of three individuals. None of this should be taken as medical or professional advice, but I do hope that if this conversation supports you, you will share it with someone you love. Welcome back to Nothing Confidential. This is our second conversation, our second episode out of 12 episodes for the whole year. So obviously this is a conversation that made the top of my very short list of things that I feel really passionate about normalizing, creating safety around, exploring with compassion and nuance, and just bringing deeper perspective to So this is different in lots of ways. This is the most guests I've ever had on the show at once. I have three lovely ladies with me today. I have my good friend, Leslie, my really good friend, Erica, and my lover, Eliza, on the show. Hi, ladies. Hi. So this is going to be an experiment for all of us. This is going to be, um, it's going to be like, Ooh, juggling a deep conversation with multiple people, which in a real room would not be an issue, but with audio recording, we're going to do our best to keep it very clear. But what we are talking about today is a topic that is really, really tender y'all. It is something that every woman in the world has been close to or has experienced. I believe that the stats are still that one in four women experience miscarriage sometime in their life. And if you think about the logistics of that, every, like every one of us knows someone who's had a miscarriage. And so I reached out to the women in my life who have had miscarriages and three of them, they are not all of them, but three of them are sitting here with me tonight and were gracious enough and courageous enough and generous enough to come and share their unique experiences with all of us to just create a sense of safety around talking about something that I think we all have ideas about because it happens so often. And yet there is still a, a lack of comfort, a lack of what to say, what not to say, a lack of how to show up for people who are going through that. I really think because there hasn't been space to talk about it, people still don't know what to do. Like the people going through the experience as we'll talk about, and then the people who want to be supportive of those going through the experience, nobody knows what to do. So the first question I kind of want to use to, to open it up is just what was your experience 
with miscarriage before you yourself had a miscarriage. Um, Erica, would you mind starting? Sure. So I only had one experience. I had a dear friend of mine who had a very intense miscarriage and by intense, I mean, extremely bloody and painful. Um, it was in her first trimester. And I remember going to California, visiting her and she wasn't a shell of who she was, but she was just not quite as vibrant. Um, and I remember, I mean, I remember where we had the conversation. I remember the details. I remember all of it. Um, and I won't share because it's, it's her story, not mine, but I, I, here's the fucked up part is I remember thinking, hearing that being like, Oh, that's so awful, but it'll never happen to me. Mm. What, what made you think that just because you were so healthy? I don't, yes, but so was she, but there was just something that was like, but that wouldn't, but not, but not me, but not me. Ha ha, ha ha ha, ha ha. That's how I feel about that statement. Because mm. I'm sure that no, but I mean, it's kind of obviously very different, but most people don't get married, for example, with the thought of like getting divorced, even though the divorce rates are really high, everyone continues getting married. Like, yeah, I mean, we get that it's high, but those people probably had problems of some sort. Like we're fine. That's not going to happen to us. Right. It's just kind of like this naive from like not having enough conversation around it or knowing enough people, you know, or for all of the reasons that we stay ignorant. Um, I think we all do that about other things. Yeah. What about you, Liza? Um, so I think for me, the only person that I knew that had had a miscarriage was my sister-in-law and it was something that wasn't shared or talked about. It was just that she had a miscarriage and we don't talk about it. Like I had heard from like through the grapevine of the family and honestly, like I didn't really have any emotion towards it. I didn't have any thoughts about me. I was just like, oh, okay. And so when I heard that they were pregnant and celebrated, you know, their first daughter, um, I just, you know, it was more tender to me to be like, yay, you know, like you, you have your child. And um, I didn't have any thoughts about me. Nothing crossed my mind or anything like that. I was just like, oh, okay. Um, and it wasn't, there wasn't a space for me to hold for her. There wasn't a space for me to have a conversation with her, um, until I had my miscarriages. So, um, I, I don't think that I had like any emotional pull towards it or, you know, anything like that. It was just like, oh, okay. I have this information and I don't really know what to do with it. And nobody talked about it. So, I just had it, you know, it felt like just a little nugget. Yeah. Well, unless there's a a sense of intimacy or closeness in the relationship, it is one of those things that feels so deeply personal and off limits. Like it's not your business. You, Mm -hmm. you have that, you know, you may have that inkling of like, oh, that is something that I imagine is sad. Although it's something that comes with a mixture of emotions. I'm sure. I'm sure there are plenty of people who have experienced a sense of relief as well as sadness, you know, having experienced that. But I think that's the overarching, like, like, this isn't, this is too sensitive to get near. Like I don't have access to that conversation. I wouldn't even know how to bring it up if I wanted to. And honestly, like, I don't even know if I knew at the time how sensitive it it was. Mm. Right. Like, I feel like 
you don't know until you know, unfortunately, you know, and our friends don't know until they know, unfortunately, you know, and so I think this is why this conversation is so important, because we're brave enough to talk about it and to get it out there and to have people know to know, because one in four, I mean, just think about your best friends. That's, that's someone that's, that's like someone really close to you. And so, um, yeah, yeah, I have more to say, but it'll probably come up in other conversations. Well, because I, I mean, I feel like I'm in a very unique position just because I have not, I have never experienced a miscarriage and yet I have these very deep relationships with each of you who are here. And so, and you aren't the only friends of mine. So I've had quite a few, I have at least four other friends I can think of immediately who have gone through a miscarriage at some point. And so I feel like it is strange that I have so many intimate details about a process from so many different areas that like, I, I wouldn't, I don't think I normally would have had. I think most people are like you, Erica, or you, Liza, where it's like, there's not really a, an emotional connection to it. There's not really a sense of the tenderness or the, the privacy or any of that, because it's so far kind of out of the field until it abruptly enters your field. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit later, because actually the two of you impacted greatly, like my, my experience of miscarriage and even like how to be present for it. And that was like an education process. So I'll definitely, we'll definitely talk about that. But Leslie, I would love to hear about your, your thoughts, your experience before you had a miscarriage. Um, pretty similar, to be honest. I was actually thinking as I was listening to the ladies and I'm like, did I know anyone beforehand? And I will say, I don't recall knowing of anyone beforehand. I feel like TV was my like glimpse into a miscarriage and it felt like it felt like it was super you know like late in pregnancy like it wasn't known that it happened so early at a lot of times or all these different stages and yeah it just it felt very far away it felt very distant not in the like not happening to me but just like it was just this thing out there that happened and was really sad and that no one talked about because I literally can't remember having a single conversation before I had mine about a miscarriage Mm. at all and then when you had yours suddenly there was like all of these women it was crazy it was insane it and granted a lot of my friends I would say we're in within a few years of having kids anyway so we all kind of were in that like domino effect of having kids but yeah as soon as it happened Every, out of the woodworks from my mom to my stepmom to all my close friends and not a single conversation prior to that it was it was really blew my mind just like why wouldn't you talk about this especially after having one you're like wait a minute this is heavy this is something like to share or to understand because I barely knew what was happening until it like, I'm pretty sure I got on my phone and Googled, like, wait a minute, what's going on? And so, yeah, it was very far away from me. I had no real idea. Yeah. Well, and I think it's so interesting too, when you don't, when you don't know, you have no concept, no idea. And then when it does happen to someone that's really close to you, like my experience, Liza, I think you were the first friend of mine who was, that I was really close to 
that, that had a miscarriage. And I just remember, I mean, I, I think <laughs> you have to, obviously we're still friends, so it wasn't too bad, but I just, I remember that it felt really messy and I don't remember what I said. I'm sure it was not eloquent, but I was kind of like, shit, like, I don't even know what to say or how to be here, but I really want to. So whatever that looks like. And I'm sorry that you had to kind of be able, you know, to educate me a little bit on what was helpful and what wasn't, but I was really willing. I was just like, I don't, I feel like it's impossible to know what to say. Like, there's nothing to say. There is nothing to say. And also I just want to be here. And if there is something I could say, I want you to tell me what it is so I can say it. And that was, and so I think having that like bumpy, very uncomfortable. And of course you guys, if you, I mean, you will get a sense of Liza very quickly is an angel, like an earth angel, an actual earth angel. And she is the most patient, <laughs> like compassionate person on earth. And so you were so gracious with me and really like, I feel like you served me in your own pain. And because I feel that I have been able to show up for other friends who have had miscarriages in such a profound way because of what I learned walking through that with you. Hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you just said there is all that you need to say, right? Like, I think Leslie and Erica can say, like, there's no perfect thing to say during all of this. It is a messy shit show that, like, we ourselves in our body are experiencing with our partners in the world, you know? And even though we're not alone, you still feel so alone, you know? And so it's, it's like friends who just say, hey, I don't even know what to say here, but I just want to let you know that I love you and that I'm here, you know, that alone. And just saying thank you, you know, like on my end, like, I don't know what I need right now, you know, in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I probably said that to you, like, I don't know what I need right now. I'm literally in my bed, you know? And yeah. so it's just knowing that even though you feel so alone in the experience within itself, because it's like, it's your body. It's, it's everything that you're going through, um, with your partner too, but it's, it's, it's that, that uncomfortable bumpy road that all of you are navigating and just being there and being like, thank you. You know, like, I don't even know what I need, but I just want to cry right now. And I want to smile now. I want to laugh now. I want to go for a walk. And now I'm like on my knees bawling, you know? And so it's just like the navigation of it, not being a perfect picture of anything that it's just, Hey, I'm here and I'm here with you in all of this type of thing. I you just, hit on something Liza. Oh, I was just going to say that part of like, I don't even know what I need is so true. That is such mm -hmm. a feeling because, and people ask you, Oh, what can I do? Let me rest. And you're just like, do I need a rest? Do I, is that what I should be doing? Why am like, there's a little pain, not pain. Like, I don't know. I'm crying, but I feel good. Like it's, or I feel horrible, but I don't want to be around people. It's very, it's such a weird roller coaster. So when you said that, like, I don't know, it's really true. Like, and that's okay, right? It's okay to not know and have people mm -hmm. there to just be with you is really mm -hmm. important. Yeah. And I would just add like the, the piece that I, found interesting during that and this is my own stuff too but like we I don't think as a culture have been taught to grieve a, a non-human so we're already uncomfortable grieving and being with grief like I talked to a friend today whose mom died unexpectedly and like even like you know you 
I have to work through that. It's still a little uncomfortable for me to show up in that way, but I know that I, I want to. Um, and so I do it. And now we're taking this grief to a whole new level. That's I think so difficult for people to understand. Cause it's almost like, how are you missing something that's like smaller than your fingernail? Right. That's like not really human, but like it was growing in me and it really felt human. And just all of these things, I think made it harder. It, I got confused on how to grieve because we don't, we barely talk about grieving, let alone grieving a potential human. Right. And then other people get lost in that too. And so it's not that I, I, I to your point, to everyone's point, it's, we're just help, grateful that you show up and I'm going to say this and maybe this makes me sound like an asshole, but the one other thing too, is like, when someone goes through this, the one piece of someone's like, well, what do I do? What exactly could, can I say? I think you two laid it out really well. And I would say definitely sharing your own experience is helpful, but only to an extent. Like I ended up carrying more people's grief because of sharing. And I had to like shut that down and shut myself down. Cause I was like, I listen, I understand how painful it is, but like, I've got to like, I've got to be in my pain corner yeah. for this moment until I'm able mm -hmm. to step back into supporting you in the way that I can, because I think you think that this is helping me, but I can tell that you haven't dealt with your pain because I know exactly what not looking like dealing with your pain looks like. Cause I'm, I'm in it currently. <laughs> Cause I'm do I'm doing that right now. So it's the, it's the well-intended kind of centering that is not super helpful. Whereas like the second you, well, as you have all kind of hit on already the club that no one knows until you're in it suddenly. And then it's like, Oh, like, Oh, I've had, let me tell you about my miscarriage. Let me tell you about my miscarriage. Let me tell you about my miscarriage. And it's this kind of like solidarity sister situation, but at the same time, you're, you haven't had the opportunity to grieve your own experience or process your own experience. And so to have other people's laid on top of you doesn't necessarily always feel supportive. Something you said though, Erica, that I feel is really important. And we'll kind of, I think we'll touch on these now. You each had your own individual unique experience. You each lost babies at different times. So I think there's so many people who can relate to you, Erica, and like, how do I grieve something that's the size of a thumbnail? And there are women who lost babies much later where it wasn't a thumbnail, where there was a baby that was lost, or, you know, and not, we're not saying what is and is not a baby, but we're talking about is like, you know, grieving possibility versus grieving a person you've already bonded with and named and thought about where they're going to sleep and what they're going to wear and bought stuff for them and stuff. Like I imagine that there is, there's nuance experienced within those layers too. So I would be really interested just to have each of you, we'll just kind of go around and have each of you share whatever you feel like sharing about your experience, how far along you were, what number of child it was, whether it was your first or a, a second or third um, and just kind of give your individual experiences. Leslie, would you like to go first to keep us organized? <laughs> sure. Okay. I, it was, it was very vivid. I remember it was in April because we were at my friend's son's birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese. I was almost seven weeks and it just out of the blue I just had to go to the bathroom and I just like was bleeding very heavily and I sat on I remember sitting on the toilet for a while 
and it didn't stop right away. And so I was a little concerned, but I wasn't in any pain right away either. I was just like, like a heavy period. And it took me a minute. Like I said, I was literally like, it, and I don't know why it didn't immediately go to me, like pregnancy blood, it's not really a good thing, but it didn't hit me immediately at all. I was just like, okay, like this is, you know, this is a little different. And this was after I had my son. So my son was um, three, two, three, I think at the time. And so, yeah, I just, it, I, I literally was on my phone in the bathroom, like heavy bleeding, like clots. And it pretty much Google is like, yeah, you could be having a miscarriage. And that's when it like kind of hit me. And then it all it was like a rush of like realization, like this is happening. This is what's going on. So then I immediately went to, how am I going to go back to the party? Like what, like I've been in the bathroom for a while. This is awkward. And like people might start wondering where I am and I didn't bring any pads. Like I wasn't, you know, I'm pregnant. I didn't think I was going to have to worry about these things. And I had, so I had all the feelings and eventually it like calmed down. I remember taking photos of what, like, I was very like, what is this? I could look back later. And so I took some photos and I went back out to Chuck E. Cheese and thought I was going to stay. And I literally, I pulled Colin aside and I said, yeah, I think I had a miscarriage. Like I just like told him and he was literally like, what? I go, I'm bleeding really pretty, pretty heavily. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. He's like, well, are you okay? Should we go? And I like, oh, let's, let's finish our coins. I remember thinking like we had like money on the car. I was like, let's finish our coins. It'll be all right. And I think it was maybe 15 minutes or so later. And I was just like, yeah, this isn't going to work. And mostly because I could just like feel like I was bleeding. I was like, yeah, this is not going to happen. So we left and I think it was the ride home. I had like this just like real wave of realization, like, oh, this is not happening. Like we're, we're not pregnant anymore. Like, okay, what does this mean? Like, what's my body about to go through? And I had, I really didn't know what to expect. And I remember Colin, um, he looked up, I think it was it the next, no, that evening he looked up and took Grace into a baseball game and left me to be by myself. And he was like, are you good? And it was actually perfect because I did need to like be by myself and process like what was going on. And for some reason I agreed to babysit some kids. And for anyone that knows me, I don't do that. I I like my kids. I'm not a person that's like, bring your kids up. Like, no, that's not where we're at, but I agreed to. <laughs> and so I had to babysit some kids. And I remember talking to my mom that evening and I told her and she goes well I can come and help you with the kids instead of saying like cancel like don't do that she's like I'll come and help you and me and my mom have an interesting relationship so like being around her right after such an emotional experience it it ended up being perfect but in the thought process I'm like why was that what I did but it just shows sometimes things just happen the way they need to and all y'all got hit with that Chuck E. Cheese dust is what happened yeah I was like what is yeah so that was and I was it got painful the next day and I was so I was very crampy and I wanted to rest I was so glad she was there to watch these two kids and my kid while I was like dealing and yeah it was and it lasted, I think I bled for like seven, eight days. 
or so, maybe a little longer. And it was pretty heavy just for the long, like for a while. But, um, and I called my doctor and she was, it was, it's so like, it happens. Even my, my doctor wasn't surprised. There was no, they're just like, okay, you know, we'll come in, we'll check that out and blah, blah. And I heard some stuff about a DNC and I'm like, what is that? Like, is that what's going to happen? So I came in with all the questions expecting that. And my doctor's pretty much like, yeah, you don't have to do all that. We're, we're okay. Maybe a, next time around or we notice a trend. And I really appreciated my doctor in the moment. It was someone I had trusted and we had already been through a pregnancy and labor. And so she was very, um, very helpful in it and helping me kind of understand. And they gave me this book. I read parts of the book. I didn't agree with everything that was in it, but I read it a little bit because it had some stuff on grief and just like understanding where you were at in the process understanding getting pregnant again and so it that was it but I I didn't grieve and to Erica's point of like understanding real grief I very much was like it was six weeks it's okay you know it was barely a pregnancy like I I dismissed it a lot and I feel like I've I felt and dealt with it later and it was a little heavier because of that and I feel like it took a really long time to feel normal quote you know whatever normal is but to feel like myself again especially hormonally like I just felt off for really like a year mm-hmm. yeah I guess that's the, the cap. but I feel pretty good now and I have another baby uh, a 16 month old so yeah. I got how, pregnant again how long was it after the miscarriage that Olivia came along I waited a year um, well, I get, and I didn't, and I'm going to share this because I think it's important for women to understand that that's okay too. I, there was a part of me that was relieved. And I think that's why my grieving wasn't right away either. Because, you know, we have plans, right? And I had plans and it wasn't in my plan, that pregnancy. And so a part of me was also like, it's like I, and it didn't feel great right away. Like it just didn't feel right. And I was, a part of me was really relieved and I felt very guilty about it and not really understanding like if that was okay and why I would feel that way because it's this loss. And that was, it took me a while to really get to a good place. But thank you for saying that, Leslie. That is, I think I agree with you. It's really, really important for anybody listening to know that there aren't any wrong ways to do miscarriage. Like there's no wrong way to feel like it's, it's natural to feel a sense of loss in varying degrees. It's also natural to feel a sense of relief. If you were surprised by the pregnancy, if you weren't planning on it, if you were in a relationship that maybe you don't want to co-parent with the person you're in a relationship with, if Mm -hmm. like, there's so many variables at any given time that could be involved that nobody knows. And it's nobody's fucking business. Let's be honest. But I do think it's important to to just validate that. So if you're someone who experienced a miscarriage and you felt relieved, like you're not a bad person, there's nothing wrong with you because you felt that. And you can hold multiple truths in your system at once. You can be sad for what might've been while also being relieved for what is possible now, because that's not something you're any, you're doing anymore. So I think that's really, I appreciate you for saying that that takes 
a lot of courage. POV. It's a good. <laughs> <laughs> so Leslie, just holding space for you. I know it's a while, but <laughs> I just think it's important to acknowledge, you know, like people Thank don't you. know what to say, but it's just like, yeah, sister, I get it, you know. Um, so my story similar and also different. Um, I've actually had three miscarriages in between my daughter who is six and a half and my son who's two. So I have two earth side babies and then three, you know, heaven star side babies Mm -hmm. who go back into the stars as we told our daughter as we were going through the process. Um, and so the first two were right around that six week mark. Um, and, the whole being with your grief, I really pushed through and I really dismissed what it was. And I think God in the universe was just like, oh, you think this is nothing here? Let me give you another one. Oh, you think this is nothing? Okay. I'm going to give you one at 14 weeks. <laughs> so, um, mm. and so the last one that we had, uh, who is and was baby Michael, um, was at 14 weeks and, It was extremely unexpected because we had the early, um, the early ultrasound to hear the heartbeat, to actually see the baby, you know, to see him there. Uh, and then to go back for that, I think my appointment was at 12 weeks or 14 weeks, you know, honestly, our bodies do things and suppress memories for a reason. Um, and I went back and it was just the mass. He was just a sweet little mass, you know, and I did not end up needing a DNC. Um, and I think that might've been the hardest part was there was lag time in between finding out and the DNC. And so I literally had a week of time, you know, of just this grieving and, one of the most powerful, and if, if you're triggered by this, please bleep it out or don't listen for the next like 10 seconds. But the most healing thing that I could have was the call to my therapist and her saying, Liza, this is hard. You have a dead baby inside of you that's been there for a week and you're waiting. Like that was the best thing that I could have ever heard because in that moment, like I felt seen, I felt so heard, you know, like damn, this is so fucking hard, right? Like actually Mm -hmm. giving myself that permission to be like, hey, this sucks. Like, yeah, it should be hard. It is hard, you know? And I don't believe in shoulds, you know? I believe in us just being there. And so after that, you think it would be, okay, let's start this grieving process. And the type of um, miscarriage that I had was a partial bimolar. So it actually turned into a mass, um, and they were worried about cancer, but they didn't really talk about it. But I had to be monitored for six months after mm. weekly um, blood pricks to check my um, pregnancy hormone for six weeks. Every week I went by myself with my daughter because my husband was traveling. And then, you know, following five months after to make sure that things were gone and stayed gone. So it's like, the only way that I could have gone through all of this was (laughs) friends who were loving and I don't know this is the messy middle right like I don't know what to do but also like doing the deep work of having a therapist there having one who you could just say on your knees you know being like why 
why is this happening, you know, in the depths of the depths? And so um, you can hear it in my voice, you know, I don't think that miscarriage is something that just like comes and goes. I think it becomes your life, like it, it, it's a, it's a moment in your life, you know, and we just shared with our daughter who's six and a half that she has another brother and two other siblings that we don't know what they were, you know, um, and to see her, you know, and to break the cycle of it not being talked about, you know, and to see that she understands that sometimes this happens and um, to have that loving grace and to think that we think that we're shielding them by misholding this information. Whereas with her, she's just like, oh, oh yeah, mommy. Like, yeah, you're right. Um, and so I don't know that, that pretty intense. Um, and also it has brought me to a deeper understanding of myself and experiences for others, you know, um, and understanding in such a different way. And also like the appreciation that I have for the children that are here, you know, um, Theo, who is our two-year-old son, you know, obviously came after and was not expected, but I knew he was here at two weeks. Like I knew that he was part of our family at two weeks. Um, and my midwife telling me that I was partially crazy, but I think I got to know my body really, really well through this whole process. I think it's a real, is a real gift. I think a lot of women who experience miscarriage and I'm not saying you didn't also feel this again, having those, like having yeah, multiple yeah. truths at once, that sense of my body like didn't do something right or my body let mm -hmm. me down or my body failed in some way. And then mm -hmm. to go through the entire process and come out the other side too, I have this deeper understanding, appreciation, and trust in my body because yeah. of all the things that I went through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that was like one of also another, one of the most important things that I heard, you didn't do anything wrong. You know, like from one friend who was like on the phone, you know, watching Lucy at our house after the appointment, during the appointment, you didn't do anything wrong and continuously saying that, right? Because it's easy to go down that road. What if I had, you know, um, and you didn't do anything wrong. Well, that's something that we talk about a lot in, in trauma and in somatic mm -hmm. trauma work is this concept of obviously our logical mind wants to find reason and meaning. And so often it, it's, it's the blessing in disguise. That's like, there, there isn't always a reason. Like mm -hmm. rarely is there one. Sometimes there is one. Sometimes it's your body sending a, a signal. Sometimes it's a sign that something is going on and you get to get curious about that and get support. And that's great. Sometimes it's the body's innate wisdom pulling the ripcord on something. And it's like, this is not supposed to happen. This is not healthy. Things are off, mm -hmm. but it's like, we, we try to create meaning to keep ourselves sane. And I think that sometimes like adds insult to injury. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I will say similar to Liza. Well, I, I've had, I have one daughter, she's six months. 
Um, my miscarriage, I, I, we think it was at six weeks, but I found out at eight, I knew within the first 10 days and everyone was like, you're crazy. I'm like, come at me. Like I'm pregnant. I know it. Um, and I was, <laughs> I mean, I peed on a lot of sticks and it was like very clear, but unlike Leslie, man, I'm still angry about my experience. Um, I did not have good, did not have good healthcare. Um, so I knew I was pregnant. People thought I was crazy. I was not, I was pregnant. I signed up for my eight week. I'm like, oh, right. We're going to meet this kiddo. I go to my eight week appointment. Silence from the woman who's doing the monitor. I am told to leave. And then I am sat in a room for like 15 minutes, like in a, in like a guest, like a, a, where people can walk and pass. And I'm just sitting there. Like, and I know something's wrong. Cause like, cause you know, when something's wrong and you're like, I, I just to go get the doctor. Like she's not allowed to say what's wrong. She's not yeah. allowed to tell you what she's yeah. saying. Yeah. And, and I had a nurse midwife. Um, and I just sat there. I sat there for 15 minutes and they said, go home. Someone will call you. And I was like, okay. And I got home and my nurse midwife called so apologetic because what had happened is the doctor on staff was like, wasn't there. And the nurses couldn't tell me because it was nurse midwife program instead of the doctor. Like it was a whole thing. And she just said, you have like, you don't have a heartbeat. Like the baby's not viable. And I mean, I lost it. Like it, cause I knew it since day 10, like, so it's like all this buildup and then to go to a hospital setting that like dismisses you and says, go on this phone. I was like, okay. She calls me. And I mean, I lost it. And I think the interesting thing about losing it was I was like, and, and being in the state that I was like coaching, doing some of the self-care work, all that is I then like ball. Like I was like, I called everybody. I'm canceled. I'm off. Don't call me. I put on Shit's Creek. And like for 12 days, I just was like in my own grief. But what was crazy for me, and I think that this is what Liza was also alluding to, is like, it is a moment in time and it can go on longer. And like Leslie, like I felt it really hard in March, even though I really thought I had grieved it. Because if you were to walk into my house for any of those 12 days, like I had an electric blanket on my stomach. I was crying in between Shits Creek episodes. Like it was just so like, and I knew that, like, I knew my, I knew my body didn't fail me, but I just couldn't shake the feeling because for me, like, you know me, like I eat organic and sustainable. I work out five days a week. I meditate, I journal, I'm spiritual, I have a therapist. I like, I did like, like I did all of the fucking things. She was tracking her cervical mucus while trying to conceive. (laughs) She was like, my body is doing literally everything. She was like, my mucus is golden. I was like, yes. Totally knew that. And I was (laughs) like, is she going to say she was tracking? Oh, I'm going to say it. Yeah, I'm going to say it. Well, I just, I want to highlight that like, I, I will say it. This is a woman, like for anyone who's like, oh no, like I get why someone who had not had a miscarriage was like, oh, that would never happen to me. Like Erica is the kind of person who, if a (laughs) fertility specialist was sitting down, they'd be like, this person is already doing all of the things I would do to naturally increase progesterone and to like do all this stuff and to lower inflammation. Like that is the lifestyle that she lives. And that's not casting judgment on either sides. It's just 
there wouldn't have been much for them to work with. We're just going to put it that way. So there was literally not a single lifestyle change that could have been implemented to support a healthier pregnancy. And this still happened. Yeah. And I think too, I was like a little on my high horse, if we're being honest, because I got pregnant the first try. So everyone was like, it takes a while. I was like, not for me. I'm so healthy. And so I did like, so everything was like working out the way it was supposed to. And then that happened. And I mean, I like, literally, I still have anger. And like what I, I do a lot when I talk about my miscarriage is I explain like the tactical components of it, because like, like my hospital system, like just quick rant failed me. Like then I had to call and figure out where I was supposed to get my lab drawn. I got follow-up appointments for like my 10 week and my, or for my 12 week and like 16. Like, so I had to go cancel all of these appointments while getting reminders, while figuring out where to go. And I was like, y'all suck. Like you suck so much. And so I was just like all of like navigating all of that on top of trying to figure out what was happening. And like, as supportive as I know my partner wanted to be, like, he didn't get it. Like, I mean, he really didn't get that. Like he was going to be a dad until his book came out of my body. You know what I mean? Like, cause I think that there's a lot, men just don't connect the way that we do with growing a baby. And it was just, it was so much. And it was like so much grief and it continued. And I tried to make sense of it. And so when it was like, when I decided it wasn't my body, I was like, spiritually, I needed this. And like, it was just like all of these things to help me try to like make sense of it. And I think what I have landed on is it happened. It was part of my journey and that's okay. But I do like, but it is an interesting piece of like, I mean, I was on a high horse. I didn't think it would happen to me. And my friend who I was talking about in the beginning, the healthiest person I know too. So I was like, in what world would I not have done this? But I was so thankful for her because the one thing I did not understand is how messy it can get. Like when the doctor, the, my nurse midwife, different. The doctor was like, it'll be like a heavy period. And because of the one thing I want to add is because of the way that my miscarriage happened, they thought it was eight weeks. It read at six. So they didn't know if it was too early for a heartbeat and I jumped the gun and I was wrong at knowing that it was born or like, they were like, so just wait two more weeks. So we're not going to give you the pill to get through. So just wait. And so I was like, okay. And then my body did its thing that Friday. And I was ill prepared for how much blood decided to come out of my body. I was on a white couch and a pair of black pants, horrible idea on the white couch. And it, I mean, it was, if anyone has a period this heavy, like God bless them because it just wouldn't stop for a good two days. I don't know about you all, but Erica, I don't want to stomp on your story, but mama bear over here is just like, let me at him, (laughs) you know, like that's bullshit, you know? And I think it's like the, the healthcare system doesn't know. And it's important for us in these situations to speak up during that. Right. Like, even if, I don't know if you gals experience this, but like the medical bills after the fact, like my DNC is coded as a, an abortion. Mm. Oh, you don't think I went up and down the coding agency at my, uh, my women's doctor. Oh, you're damn right. I did. Right. Like it's that mama bear stuff that it's just like, let me at him. Right. Like Erica, I'm like, let me at him. (laughs) 
Oh no. I remember just feeling so, I mean, so angry and so just, I mean, truly baffled, like angry, but just baffled by the, the total lack of awareness, professionalism, like decorum, like all of it. Just the fact that a woman who is no, is no longer carrying a living baby is without being told anything, without saying, I'm going to go get someone who can tell you more information without like any kind of expectation, like sat in this room, passed over by multiple people sent home with no explanation or assurances. And then you're still getting reminders for appointments. It's not like there's something in their system. I mean, how does this happen where they're like, Oh, this woman came in to see us to hear a heartbeat today. She's no longer pregnant with a living baby. So we're going to keep calling her and sending her automated messages about her upcoming baby wellness visits. Like, where is the fucking disconnect? Like what is going on? And to your point about the, the comment from the doctor, just, Oh, you know, it's going to be like a, like a heavy period. (sighs) There's so many people. And I, I mean, it's, it's ironic. I experienced this in pregnancy where people would come into the room who have never had a baby. They've never been pregnant. And they're telling me about what is normal for me to feel and experience. I'm like, unless you have had an embodied experience, I am not interested in your input. And I don't think people should be allowed in the room with a woman who is having a miscarriage in the medical field who has not had a miscarriage. I really don't think so. Because you have a textbook that probably dates back to 1950. You have no fucking clue what's going on with the female body in general. And so then to be standing there and giving very blanket advice and making statements about what someone can expect when you don't have the felt or lived experience is nuts to me. That's crazy. I mean, the for me, the medical establishment really, really failed me. And I saw it, I've seen it played out in many conversations that I've had with other people and all these spaces. I mean, I think it's very similar to the ideas like we're ch- when we're pregnant. Cause I, like I said, I, I have a child, right? Every four weeks, every two weeks, every one week you have the baby and they're like, we'll see you in six. And it's this very similar thing that like, you're kind of useless. That's what it felt like. Like I'm kind of useless or like not important until um, like only when I had the child in me and like, why, like, why is it the bills? Like, I mean, it was expensive. It cost me almost more to have a miscarriage than it did to have a baby. And I just think that's insane. Like, and the only reason it cost me less is because I got mad and I just, and I got sick of having to figure out where I was supposed to go. So I just didn't go for blood test. I don't recommend that. That is not smart, but I was like, medical advice. Nope. So far from it. But I was like, fuck all of you. I'm not showing up every week. Like, to like, you're saying I have to go to an outpatient place. You're, you're saying I, not only do I have to go to an outpatient place, you're not going to tell me where to go and I can't make an appointment. So every week I have to just sit in a stool at some place until you can see me to draw blood, get fucked. Was like my, is, is how I thought, I mean, I was so angry, still am, but that yes. like for me. Yeah. So help me understand because I didn't have to do any blood tests or anything. Like, what is the the reasoning behind the blood tests? Like, Les, I kind of understand yours because it was later and that longer, but I don't, I don't understand. What did they well, say? The specifically point the blood for my, specifically for mine, they were concerned that they didn't get everything for the DNC. Mm. And so because it was a partial molar, like the baby was alive and then it wasn't, 
you know, um, it, it turned into a tumor. And this they thought is what's it was in- cancerous. So they were checking to make sure that you weren't. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And they skirted around that. They couldn't have the conversation in the appointment with me. They emailed me the documents to teach me about this. So, so I'm like, like they, they couldn't through. bring themselves to tell you right. that your baby is dead and it has potentially turned into cancer in your body. You know, and so. I, like, I feel blessed in it because my best friend was my midwife, right? Like, so I had her on the phone at all times. Like she texted me before I even left the office, finding out that we had lost the baby, you know, and it's like, oh my God, are you okay? Like, I'm calling you, like, where are you? What are you doing? You know? Um, but for me, it was more so like they had to make sure that I wasn't pregnant anymore, monitor it all the way down to zero, make sure it stayed at zero for an extended period of time. So nothing else was growing, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes, that makes more sense. I guess that was why I was, I was confused at Erica too. I'm just like, that doesn't, it didn't make sense in in my mind, my non-medical mind, but I'm. It was like progesterone levels and they were checking like certain vitals and things like that for me. Um, but it, it, which I get, like, I do truly get, but like the way it was handled. And I think like, this is what makes the miscarriage. So like, no wonder we don't talk about it. Our medical professionals don't even know how to talk about it. Like the people who most of us, I don't think I can't speak for everyone here, but probably not everyone in this Zoom chat room looks to them as experts, but I think the majority of people in America look to them as experts. And if they don't know how to have the conversation, how the heck are they supposed to have the conversation with us? Right. So what do you even tell anyone? Like, what do you even communicate if you feel like you're getting a bunch of confusing, garbled information that is not helping you feel clear on what happened? So you just kind of go home limping and licking your wounds and sitting with your feelings and not really knowing how to explain what's happening to you. If you sit with your feelings though, right? Like Leslie's demonstrated, yeah. like, cause I, I remember Leslie, you can cut this if I'm not allowed to say it, but she went to work the fucking next, like on Monday. And I was like, I did go to work. Yeah. I, I could, I sure did. And of course, because why wouldn't you, because we don't know how to handle this. And also looking back on it, you probably were thinking like, what was I thinking going to work? You know, oh. yeah, I would totally take the time and the space now for sure. Like I did, I, I literally, like I said, I had people over, I was at work, I was like doing the things and just like, oh, it, I treated it like this heavy period that was absolutely not that and horrible, but yeah, no, <laughs> it was like, and I have heavy periods, so I know a heavy period from a miscarriage there significantly different but no I no I feel you on that there's I think it's like I think it opens up this whole like discussion around grief and how like grief is not linear it still Mm -hmm. isn't right like I don't even I I, Theos too I had a year in between of healing you know and really diving deep so let's look at like three and a half years ago right and it's still here you know, like, and some days are harder, some days are easier. And I think that the most healing thing is actually talking about it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and also like, maybe like hindsight's twenty twenty. So Leslie going to work the next day, you said, I would totally do that differently now, you know, but at the time, 
you were doing the best with what you had Mm -hmm. and going forward with what you knew and could do, you know, and it's, so it's like, ah, me too. I launched a program that first miscarriage. I still haven't gone back to that damn program. (laughs) Like I am like, no way, you know? Um, But it's like, people deal with grief differently. And it's like having friends on the other side who are like, are you sure this is what's best for you? Okay. I'm here to pick up the pieces for whatever you need. You know, like I'm here to listen to all of, all of what you have to say here, you know, or do, or I'll come help you watch the kids. If you think that's the right decision, you know, (laughs) like all of it, or I'll be angry with you. Right. Like this wasn't fair, you know? Yeah. And I think too, like, just to like with mine, like I'll cancel your appointments. Like, exactly. let me yeah. take care of those things that like someone who's having a miscarriage for the first time. And hopefully the only time, well, hopefully never, but if they're going to have it, like I, you know, in a perfect world, whatever that means. If you're going to have one, hopefully we're going to have one. But... Yeah. I like, cause, cause it's <laughs> so much. We want it for when you, you have you your have miscarriage. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. What's crazy though, about like, I will say with the, the pregnancy piece is like, I caught myself saying that was my first miscarriage and I had to check it. Like when people were like talking to me about it, I was like, oh yeah, it's my first. And I was like, what are you, like, what are you saying? This is your first miscarriage because I honestly getting pregnant then I, I, and cause I didn't, I didn't have a kid. Right. Like I was like terrified every appointment. And I think I told you this Kristen until I hit like 36 weeks and I knew full term baby was coming out or 37 weeks, whatever, like coming out. I was like, I had a pit in my stomach every single time. I was like, is this the time? Are they now, is this what they're going to tell me? They're like, I don't have a baby. Is this it? Is this it? And it just Mm -hmm. every single time. And then I started to catch myself like, this is your, you're calling it your first miscarriage. I was like, you better change your language. But even when, which helped quite like, which helped a bit, but still like, until she was in my hands, I was like, well, Did she? I was going to say, but, and that fear is so valid, right? Experiencing a loss like that and feeling that fear, of course, getting pregnant afterwards, you're so grateful that your body can do that. How amazing. And of course you're afraid. Like, of course that feels so much more vulnerable because again, for the handful of people we know who have had miscarriages, we know plenty of people who've gotten pregnant, who didn't have a miscarriage, who didn't have a problem who, you know, and I think maybe, maybe because I had so many friends, I thought about it more than a lot of people would who haven't had Mm -hmm. that experience aren't close to people. It was definitely something that was on my mind in the beginning. And it was just, I remember telling everyone pretty quickly and just saying, I was like, I'm going to tell you this, but I, I mean, I knew I was two days late and I was like, I fucking know what's up because I also like, I don't have any, I don't take birth control. I track everything. I've been tracking my cycle for eight years. Like I know what is going on. So I went out and bought tampons because I was two days late and I forgot. And I was like, oh, I don't actually have tampons. And those fucking tampons sat under my cabinet for two years. So that. <laughs> That definitely happened. But I do remember reaching out to you guys and being like, so I'm pregnant. It's early. And no matter what happens, I'm going to need you either way. So we can celebrate together. And if the unimaginable happens, I'm going to need you to know what's going on. So I don't have to fucking tell you, oh, I'm having a baby, but don't get excited because I actually lost that baby and like catch you up to speed on what's going on with me. 
And that just, I felt that I felt that through my whole body. And I was like, I don't really care if anybody agrees with my decision to tell. I'm like, I'm not basing my experience on how many people I could potentially disappoint when I lose this baby or if I lose this baby. So I really, that was something that I felt real fiery about because I definitely got a couple of comments. And I remember saying to several people as lovingly as I could, I understand the experiences you have had that make you nervous and that would make you feel nervous about this. And I can see that you're projecting those onto me. Also, this is my experience and this is why I'm choosing to do it this way. I don't really need you to agree with me, but I just think having people around, no matter what, it's like, I'm going to need you either way. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. felt really, really important because it was, it, it was that, like, there was that little bit of fear that crept in every now and then where it was like, you know, for me, I was like, I'm super healthy. I got pregnant on the first try. So did Erica. So for me, back in my mind, what's going to happen? Like, I don't know. I think that's important though. What you just said, like I'm sharing because I want to, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. not because of what other people think or what other people think I should or should not do, or the expectation on their end. Like I actually shared with friends before I shared with family with Theo, you know, and it was like, I'm telling you because I need you. Mm-hmm. I need you here with me, you know, and I, <laughs> I was sick at two weeks, <laughs> two weeks, you know, and so I was like, no, really, like, I need you right now, <laughs> you know, yeah. and Erica, I mean, uh, Kristen, we were pregnant at the same time, uh-huh. Yeah, you I know? know, and so it's like, it's the opportunity, you know, I think pregnancy after miscarriage, which, you know, I feel so blessed and I'm not going to like dance around it in any way. Um, But talk about presence. I experienced presence in a way that I never thought that I would. And like Erica said, it wasn't even 36 weeks. Like I remember be pushing and crying and be like, oh my God, he's here. Like he's actually here. Like, let me touch him. Like he's okay. It wasn't until I had my hands on him that I was like, I can breathe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? And so it's like that deeper sense of presence and the support of friends and therapy and, you know, just being in the messy middle of it all is, Mm -hmm. is so like, that's just what it is, you know? I want to respect our time. For you guys listening, we are recording at like 930 at night because it's the only time that four women with children. 1030. 1030. Yeah. 9:30, 10:30, 8:30, three different time zones. We all have kids. We all literally are in pajamas. We have washed our face and put on eye cream. So I want to let you guys get to bed. I did kind of want to wrap up with like this is such a this is such a big conversation. There's so many places to go. And I feel like now that I've kind of cracked the lid on this, we'll definitely do it again. So definitely looking forward to doing more because I I do, I want to talk about the partner dynamic and going through this kind of loss with someone who is so intimately involved and yet it is not their lived experience. And so there is this dissociation, this kind of disconnect where it's like, they can't possibly know. And yet they have you. And when we're unclear and we're going through grief and all of the messy, all of that, that can be very hard. 
but I also feel like that's going to take us another like 30 minutes. So how I would wrap up this conversation in order to keep my word and let you guys get to bed is maybe just each of you sharing kind of a, a closing reflection on a, like, what was the one thing? Like, if you had to sum it up into one thing, like, what is the one thing that you would tell someone who has no idea what's fucking coming, even if it's someone who hopefully never experiences this. And yet she has a friend who does, and she's going to remember this conversation and be like, you know what I should do. I should, I should share this, or I should give this piece of information or this resource. I know one that I already like made a mental note of Erica was you saying like, if somebody is going through a miscarriage, like be there, be kind of their health advocate, like jump on cancel appointments, make sure they're not getting reminders that they have baby wellness visits coming on when there's no baby and things like that. I think that's a really big one. Is there anything else that you guys would add as far as just things that people can expect or ways that they could support based on your experience? I'll add one thing I'll add to great advice that I gave earlier. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Double it up. Yeah. 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 Um, is check on your friends months down the road. I I really appreciated everyone who showed up right then. And I really needed people down the road. And I think I had enough good friends, you know, like you, Christian, I could be like, ah, I just cried a lot in front of a bunch of friends, in front of a bunch of strangers. So I'd like to do it with an actual friend. Um, but I didn't, not all of us know how to ask for help. So check in, check in, check in months down the road. I think for me is the consent to like give advice if they want to give advice or relive what happened, like asking ahead of time, like, are you open to this? Or um, I just remember, I love my mom. She was with me when I found out and she, it hit her like a Mack truck. Um, and she wouldn't talk about it or had a lot of questions about it. And I had to literally say, mom, I'm not open to answering anything right now. Like I can't, um, and then being like, okay, I'm open at this, like right now, you know? And, um, so really just like having that consent question or consent advice ahead of time. Um, and then. I had another thing and it just slipped my mind. Well, um, then I will interject and say, I have actually bragged on Liza for this very thing before, because it is something that is so far removed from my personality to do. Like she is the friend who will, like, I will text her and I'm like, stuff is going on. Like shit is hitting the fan. And she'll say, is it all right with you if I share what worked for me? And I'm like, yes, that's why I text you. But <laughs> she's so respectful. Whereas someone's like, I'm having a problem. I'm like, here are the six ways that I would fix that for you. If you did. <laughs> and I really love Liza's approach. It does make me feel very respected. And I also never think to do that. And so then it makes me feel a little bit bad about myself, but it's okay. It's not like a major thing. I don't yeah. listen for it. But I do appreciate that about you. And I have literally on, I think the first season of the podcast, at some point, somebody was asking me a question. I was like, well, my dear friend, Liza would ask your consent before she offered you things. I'm just going to tell you straight up that this is what is happening right now. (laughs) I love you, Kristen. (laughs) I love you too. But in this, in this situation, um, 1 billion percent, 
asking someone if they have the capacity, if it is okay to ask questions, even about how to support, I think, I think instead of just bumbling your way through it, being like, I understand that this is a very difficult time. Are you open to me asking some questions, finding out ways that I might help you? Do you have the capacity for that right now? Uh, I did want to ask all of you since something that you all said and agreed on was that a a thing you all had in common was when, of course, everyone wants to help. And it's like, well, what can I do? And you're like, I don't even know what you can do. It's almost like putting, that's a burden in itself as being being asked, like if someone can do something, because you don't know, you don't know what you need. Would for each of you, would it feel supportive if someone had been like, I like, I have time today. I can drop off groceries or like take a kid or do X, Y, and Z, like offering a list of options that you only have to choose from instead of like figuring out what you need. Would that be something that would be supportive? Yes. Very supportive. That's actually my advice I give to a lot of people when there's, they're dealing with something hard or tragic or death. Don't ask them what they need. Just do what you have capacity to do or give them a list to choose from like and make it very specific but if you know that they like flowers just get them flowers dropped off if they need a meal like you know their food they like just do it like and don't make them go through that but to your other point I will I was like let me I was trying to think of how I would say it because this is my go-to now for everything but and it really started when I had my miscarriage is understanding the hormone onslaught that happens post a miscarriage And I was not prepared. I had no idea. Like I said, it was a year. I'm over here crazy at work and not concentrating and moody and emotional and just blah and really just struggling to feel back to that normal self. And so I would just, I'm a, I kind of geek out. And so I get into a little bit more of the science and I'm a little hippy dippy. And so the oils came out. So I would just say whatever works for you but know what those hormones can do and how your body could react. And for me, I have found Clary Sage in that process and I live by it and swear by it. It may not be for you. And I just say, just but lean into the impact the hormones can have and know it can take a long time to get that balance back. Is there anything about any of your experiences that you would like to give voice to before we close anything that just needs to be said or that you wish you'd been able to share or reflect on I just I'm thinking about like the listener you know like if you're in this space or if you have a friend that's in this space or you know a it's not your fault and I'll say that again it's not Mm -hmm. your fault it's not your fault Um, And if you're a friend on the other side of someone who is or has gone through this, you know, get uncomfortable and just say, hey, look, I don't know what to do here, but I love you and I'm here in the darkness with you. The one thing I want to just add, as Liza was saying that, is, well, well, I recognize that everyone has the opportunity to get pregnant after a miscarriage, a lot of people do. And so if you had one or had multiple, Mm -hmm. know that there's still hope if you wanna carry and know that there's other ways also 
to be a parent. And for me, I was so scared again to get pregnant. And again, the first time I tried, it happened. And now she is a beautiful six six (laughs) months old. Eyelashes. Oh my God. Those eyelashes. Yes. Yeah. So but, all of all of our babies. Oh my God. Theo and Olivia, like all the babies. Lucy, Grayson, everybody. Oh my God. They're all so adorable. But it's just I want to remind people who might be going through it. There's hope on the other end. There is. Well, ladies, thank you so much for just your vulnerability and your honesty and for having a conversation that nobody knows how to have for going first and giving other people permission to laugh and cry and rage their way through their own conversations. And something I always remind listeners, one of the things I love about podcasting, one of the reasons I got into podcasting, can't tell you how many times there was a concept that had I reached it as Kristen with my husband, it would have been shot down immediately. But when you're like, oh, I was to a really interesting podcast about this the other day so like take a listen and let me know what you think like I have like Trojan horse so many ideas over onto him through podcasts so like please (laughs) please Trojan horse (laughs) this this conversation if you think this conversation would open the door for conversations elsewhere totally blame it all on me I am I am here for that I signed up for that so please use this as that this is an invitation open invitation um I would again the reason that I reformatted the podcast to have monthly episodes instead of weekly or bi-weekly is because I want these conversations to last longer than the day that it gets downloaded I want us to be in conversation so if you're listening to this and you want to reach out to me with these ladies consent. If any of them would be open to that, if they are, I will put their information in the show notes as well. And like, have those conversations. You can talk to me about this if you want to, like you can share your stories. If you just need to be seen and heard and validated in your experience, I'm here for you to do that. So please feel free to engage with me on this and to send people over here who may be supported by this conversation and to each of you individually. I love you. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your experiences and for your grace and for just your ability to navigate murky waters with elegance and love. I just love you guys. I admire you all so much and I'm really grateful to have you in your life and to be parts of your lives. I love you too. (laughs) Thanks, Liza. I was going to say, I love Liza now too. Just added to the panel. This is great. I, I needed it. I love you too, it. Leslie. You made me feel really good. I appreciate it. I'm the Care Bear. I'm a Care Bear. <laughs> you do it very bear. well. Oh my God. She's so good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Hands on my heart. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening with an open and curious mind. Anne Voskamp says, shame dies when stories are told in safe places. I would be so grateful for your help to expand the safety we're creating here by subscribing, rating, and sharing this show with the folks you love. Let's keep nothing important confidential. Confidential.